Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. I'm Randy, and today's guest, Mauricio Barberi, definitely intrigued me when I was presented with his profile. Now, if you take a look, Mauricio has started his career as an engineer, moved on to lead in different marketing roles, but then became what we have often heard as a fractional CMO. Now, a fractional CMO is this opportunity to go into companies that are growing at a high pace and jump in and retool the team with everything from the people to the technology to the processes that come into play. Now, this is a really interesting opportunity and the ability to speak to someone who's jumped into so many different companies is one that really was exciting for me. Now, I think very often we think of people in this role as fixers, but the opportunity here that we explore with Mauricio is his ability is to set that company up for long-term success. And we look at different elements from finding your replacement. This is an idea that I really struggle with too often that we are scared to find people on our team who could replace us out of fear of losing our own job. But then we also talk about other aspects like finding the right technology. It's such an important job of a CMO. Adopting the right tech is important both from proving ROI and also getting the results that you need. This episode's all about results. Mauricio is a results type of CMO. Without further ado, here's our chat this week. Hey, Mauricio, thank you so much for finding time to chat. Despite if people have looked you up, we're not both in the same city, but you work for a company in my city being Toronto. That's right. Thank you for having me. And I'm delighted to be speaking with you. Yeah, I'm based in New York, but I enjoy uh, traveling to Toronto and have worked with uh, at least a couple of companies in your wonderful city. Fantastic. Well, I hope there'll be a day soon where you can cross the border safely and we're all uh, all back to, to working the way we used to. But in the meantime, maybe you can tell us how you got into the role you're in today. And, and your past, from what I've seen, starts in, in a space that I don't associate with a lot of marketers. It's an engineering background. How did that come to be and how did you shift? Yeah, no, thank you for the question. I uh, Yeah, I studied engineering in university. I worked as an engineer in Silicon Valley. I was very interested and passionate about math and science. And I said, well, a, a technology-focused career is what makes sense. I want to at least have that experience. After four years working in Silicon Valley, I decided that I wanted to explore uh, different functional areas, went back to Boston, got my MBA, and kind of launched uh, kind of the second chapter in my career as a consultant with Accenture. And, uh, you know, that taught me a lot of things, uh, you know, one of the more important ones, uh, how to uh, how to ask the right questions and and pick up new knowledge very quickly and very efficiently. But my passion was always understanding uh, how technology can be packaged, marketed, and sold in order to solve very, very tough problems. After my time at Accenture, I decided that I wanted to launch the third chapter in my career as a marketer. 
Uh, so I, you know, got my first uh, opportunity at a startup in, in Silicon Alley uh, here in New York. And, and, and that really afforded me the opportunity to keep one foot in the technology space. It was a technology company. In fact, it was one of the very early cloud-based companies, uh, but also do something that was better aligned with my long-term focus, which would be business and specifically marketing. That's really the third and so far the last chapter in my career where I've really kind of stuck to being a technology marketer uh, for the last 20 plus years, you know, working with mostly uh, smaller and mid-sized companies across a variety of different ownership and capital structures from venture back to private equity back to family owned to a NASDAQ traded company that we took private and everything in between. So it was an interesting transition. And I would have to say that, you know, I haven't encountered too many people with that kind of trajectory going from engineer in Silicon Valley to Accenture to becoming a full-time professional marketer and marketing leader. But for me, having that foundation in engineering really gives me a lot of credibility as I work with very technical teams and as, as I try to simplify how to tell the story of how we are solving complex problems with sometimes very sophisticated technologies, but doing it in a simple way, in a way that our target audiences can understand. So that's been a benefit, that combination. Interesting. So I want to come back to that, you know, the simplicity, maybe, maybe a little bit later in our chat. But one of the interesting parts of your career is when we think about marketers, we often these days think of very short tenures, but you actually took a bit of a path in your journey where you said, I'm going to intentionally have short paths by becoming a fractional CMO. And this is a term that we're hearing more and more these days. We've got fractional CMOs, we've got fractional CFOs, got people who come in and they get the business on track. I'm curious back in 2014, that was your first kind of interim CMO role. Did you say, I want to go down this path or was it an opportunity that was put your way? More the latter. I I didn't really know or was familiar with the term fractional CMO. I had worked as a consultant at Accenture many years before that. So I was familiar with the consulting model where you're engaged by a client to go solve a problem, to go put together some deliverables, to get the company back on track, but not the way that I experienced it as a true fractional CMO. So it came about because I had finished uh, my assignment with a company that went through a merger. And once I completed putting together the front office, uh, one of the founders of the acquiring company was the CMO. And he I knew he would become the CMO of both companies. So I knew I, that would come to an end. And, and, and that's when uh, through professional contacts was able to to land my first two uh, kind of fractional or interim CMO roles, one with an Israeli company, software company that was trying to launch itself into the North American market. And because I had that knowledge and experience, they found me and figured I would be able to help them do that. The other one with a much earlier stage company based in Santa Barbara that had a great technology, but had no idea how to commercialize it. So these were small companies that didn't have big budgets and didn't really know how things were going to play out. And they found my experience and background and skill set uh, to be very relevant. Uh, so they had a, a smaller commitment in hiring me as an interim or fractional CMO, but they would benefit from all the experience that I had acquired over the course of many years being a marketing leader in the technology space. And then following those two experiences that came about more serendipitously than anything else, uh, I actually discovered a company that had that as a model. Chief Outsiders is a consulting firm 
that has a, a team of 60 or 70 fractional CMOs uh, all across North America. And that's their model. They basically match CMOs with 20 plus years of operating experience with clients who are perhaps too small or not entirely sure exactly whether they can have a full-time CMO. They're not used to that idea of having a marketing leader with that level of experience, but they can certainly benefit from everything that someone with my background or my peers' backgrounds can bring to the table. And by the way, you asked a question about tenure. Yes, in technology, because of mergers and acquisitions or sometimes companies don't work out, the average tenure for a CMO in tech, especially with smaller companies, is quite short. Uh, my average tenure was already 18 to 24 months. This was by design a short tenure. Uh, most of my engages, engagements with chief outsiders were somewhere between six and 18 months. So you're building that into your model. And so the challenge becomes, can you get up to speed quickly enough to add value in that first 30 days and the first 90 days, and then really kind of set the stage for that company to be able to build out its marketing budget, program, strategy, and team in many cases. And I, because I had done that many times before, I could do that very quickly, you know, get up to speed on the industry the customers, the competitors, the products very, very quickly. And that training at Accenture helped me do that very quickly and then be able to deliver value. In some cases, I was helping them define a team, hire the key people on that team, put together a budget, a plan, a set of strategies, a set of priorities, define that marketing mix, get them up and running, get them on a different trajectory, and then move on to the next client because uh, th that's really all they had hired me to do. So let me ask the following, and, and I like how you relate that back to the beginning of your career and the consulting background helping you with that. You know, the, a big difference, though, between the consultant and, say, the CMO is the consultant is there to provide ideas, challenge the norm. The CMO has to lead a team. And, and you hit on, on one of the aspects being getting the team built out. But what do you do when you're brought in with an understanding that you know, you've got to get this team up and running quickly. And we know that sometimes the biggest drag to a CMO getting progress is that first year of rebuilding their team, right? Determining if they have the right people, they don't have the right people. How do you find that balance of leveraging the team in place as a fractional CMO versus the need to re-architect? Yeah, and I know that's a great question. And I agree with you that that is one of the biggest challenges, especially in a fractional CMO role. In some cases, there was not much of a team in place. There, there was someone doing trade shows part-time. Maybe there, there was a, an agency on retainer that was supposed to be doing all this work through digital channels, but no one was really directing the efforts of the agency. So those situations were actually quite much easier because my, my goal was to define what that team needed to look like, to define what relationships needed to be put in place with different outside providers like digital agencies or web development or PR agencies, et cetera, and then work with recruiters to hire the team in the different roles that needed to be put in place and, and really kind of manage a portfolio of outside providers as a complement, as an extension to that core team. In other cases, when you arrived, there was already a team in place, but that wasn't working so well. Or the team members were fine. They just never had the, the benefit of a leader to really guide them and coach them and get them aligned behind a common purpose and a common set of priorities and objectives 
that's what was missing. So many of these clients that I work with, hey, we have a team of seven people. They're all relatively junior. That's okay. They're smart. They're motivated. But, you know, the head of sales can't really provide them with the kind of direction they need to realize their potential. The CEO is too busy doing what he or she needs to be doing. We need someone that we can bring on board for six to 18 months to really put that team, align that team, show them what good marketing looks like, and maybe even help us hire a senior director or junior VP of marketing. That'll be part of your deliverable. Put that person in place after you've done all the alignment and identified all the processes and best practices and systems that you need to put in place. And then that's when you've succeeded. You've put us on a different trajectory by building a framework and a model that is then scalable, that can help the company grow. So Mauricio, what's interesting about this aspect of your role is that in most companies, you'll have a fear of the leader to come in and hire people who may be stronger than them out of fear that they may be replaced one day. But I suppose in your roles in the past, the opportunity is to come in and build the team for the future. That's exactly right. And, and, and I don't know who it was exactly. I think it may have been some people who worked at Oracle a long time ago, and then they, they spun out and created PeopleSoft. One of these people was interviewed one time and said, how do you make sure that you're, you, ha- you have the right team? Well, you start at the top. You hire the A player at the top. And that A player is going to hire A players right below them. And those people, in turn, as the company and the team grows, will hire A players. So A players hire A players, and that's how you build build that world-class team. So this is where, where these companies recognize, let me start at the very top. Let me hire an A player, even if it's on a fractional basis, and they'll make sure that the team they put in place is going to be of the highest quality. And once we get momentum with that, they're going to sustain that because they are of that quality. That's the expectation they have. That's interesting. It's, it's, it's a nice model in that it removes that fear of finding someone who's going to be better than you and shows you up because that is your role. Mauricio, this is great. We're going to take a short break here and we will be back to dig a little bit on the side of the things that you're helping to execute beyond your role right back here on The Marketer's Journey. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. So I want to double click a little bit on the conversation with Mauricio around his opportunity to come in and find the eventual leader of marketing. And I think this is actually a great opportunity. In too many companies, as we hit on, you have a leader who's scared to hire someone better than them. They like to hire B players and maybe even C players because they look better when they are the A player. And that's such a broken model. I think all of us need to understand the opportunity to build future marketing leaders and our ability to do that makes us an even better marketer and an executive who other teams are going to want 
on their executive team in the long run. Now, what's interesting about Mauricio's role is he gets to come in and he gets to either hire that person for the future or uncover someone who may be that next in command. And I think this is such an important opportunity for us to all look at inside of our organizations and really say, who is that person who could replace me? If a great opportunity came my way, or if I just wasn't able to focus on the business in this time for whatever reason, from health to other opportunities that I need to put my focus to, who's number two? And when you start to think that way, you start to get into the mode of grooming your replacement and grooming talent and building the best team possible. All right, Mauricio, so we just unpacked this idea of leading a team on a short-term basis, but short-term, long-term, a big part of that team is the technology they use every day. I'm wondering, as you come into a new company, how do you evaluate on day one whether they have the right tech? So it's interesting. I mean, being a tech marketer, this is kind of uh, near and dear to my heart. But sometimes what I find is that a lot of people put too much en emphasis on the technology and less emphasis on what the technology is supposed to do. So for me, the logical starting place is really what processes are you trying to enable? How are you trying to improve those processes? What are the things that you expect to do better or to be able to do because you can't do them right now at all? with the technology you have or lack of technology on your stack. So starting with that is typically my guiding pr principle, which CRM solution or marketing automation solution you eventually choose, that has less of an impact on the overall kind of long-term success. It's more about understanding the purpose and the processes and the automation and efficiency and productivity that you are going to drive through that stack. So I want to dig in a little bit more to understand how you differentiate what stack to use and which company you're at. And as you talk about understanding what you're trying to achieve, would you say that that includes what go-to-market strategy or what channels that industry may use over a different company you've been with? Those are certainly factors that inform some of the choices and where you start in that technology stack. I have spent most of my marketing career in the B2B space working with technology companies. So we are not selling to consumers, we're selling to companies. And companies that buy technology, is usually, it's usually more than just one person making that decision. There's a whole buying team. And what you need to do is understand that buying team. Who controls the purse strings? Who is an influencer? Who is ultimately the decision maker? How empowered are they? Is there a consultant involved or not? Understanding that is really important. And then mapping your go-to-market effort or your account engagement team to map to that buying team is really important. And then that's going to start defining the processes that you need to enable with whatever technology stack you choose or, or, or which choice you choose. So start with the CRM system, making sure that you have that buyer journey pretty well mapped out. Who are the players? What role do they play? What information are they looking for? How do you influence them? And, and how do we learn what is really important to them and what isn't? What is the history of deploying technology? Because that typically informs their perceptions of different types of technologies that you may be presenting to them. And, and how are they, are they going to gather the information they need in order to make 
a decision or recommendation that they're very comfortable with. Understanding all that is really important and being able to capture that information and share it and leverage it in a CRM system, for example, is really important. So the entire selling team now is fully informed and well mapped to all the different needs, requirements and expectations of that buying team that you've identified. So I want to dig a little deeper on this idea of connecting the right systems, as you just outlined there. When I think about what you outlined, you've got the sales org and you've got the marketing org, and we got to find a way to get them to work together. And what's interesting within that, I'm sure you've seen this evolve over the years, is more and more I'm seeing the CRM owned by the marketing org as opposed to the sales org. How do you determine who should own that piece? No, that's that's a great tre- uh, question, and that's also the trend that I have observed. Uh, CRM historically has always been the VP of sales, the head of sales, chooses what CRM uh, they want to deploy for their team, and then basically asks marketing to contribute whatever they need to contribute to make it work and to deploy it and to connect it with marketing programs and campaigns. In the last several roles I've had as a CMO, I've actually been the one who's ultimately responsible for the CRM system, not only choosing which system, but how to deploy it, which partners to hire to help deploy it and configure it, and also really being accountable and responsible for the integrity of the data, because ultimately that's going to make a big difference. And then connecting it with some of the other systems that that are more marketing-centric, whether it's a marketing automation system or email management system, some of the uh, inbound systems that are kind of integrated with our website, if that's part of your marketing mix. So I have found that in terms of managing the program, the budget, the strategy, and the stack, the CMO increasingly is responsible for the entire front office stack. That is certainly consistent with my experience. So I want to continue on that that debate then, because there's the rise of a lot of new software that actually empowers sales reps to work without the need for marketing. We've got solutions out there like Outreach and Sales Loft and other add-ons to help you to listen to voice calls. Where do you draw the line between ownership for the VP of sales, as you just hit on, but really monitoring in a center of data collection for the CMO? So I see the role of a head of sales as ensuring the adoption and usage of these front office technologies. So ensuring that the inside sales team, if you have one, and certainly the outside sales team is using the system as expected, is capturing the information on a real-time or near-time basis, is leveraging all the information there, is recording all of the touches that they attempt or succeed in executing with the people they're trying to influence as part of that selling process. So the accountability for adoption and usage and recording information squarely falls on the side of sales. The the management of the stack in terms of how it's integrated with all the different systems, the data that needs to flow bi-directionally across all these different systems, and the way we inform how you, for example, execute account-based marketing or more mass market types of campaigns that leverage data that you're capturing in your CRM system, that all very much falls on the plate of the CMO of marketing because that is very closely tied and greatly informs the decisions we make about what campaigns do we need to run, 
who is the target audience of those campaigns? What are the key metrics that we need to gather information about so that we can always be measuring the outcomes we are driving with all of our programs? So I got one one last question for you, Mauricio, which is, you know, you've seen the evolution of marketing. We talked about the evolution of CRM. What do you think is the next evolution with MarTech? What do you think are the next rise of platforms that are really going to enable this unity between sales and marketing? The way I'll, I'll, I'll answer the question is perhaps a little bit with the business to business filter in place, because that's where my experience really lies and, and, and where I've seen the evolution that you described. I, I think that there is great potential to further automate and get far more sophisticated and impactful in the area of account based marketing. It's been an acronym, an acronym that, that has existed for a long time. But I don't see too many companies out there, including my own company and where I've worked recently, that really does account-based marketing really, really well, where you are leveraging all the data and all the insights that come from those data and really being as effective as you can be to really tailor the experience that an account that is typically a sizable account will have. In, in order to choose you as the technology vendor. A lot of times there is pretty close to parity when you compare all the different software that these accounts can choose to, to buy and deploy for their users. And, and, and the difference is made in the intimacy and the degree to which that experience is tailored. You are always listening and you're signaling back and playing back that you are listening and you are really putting in front of that account and the key decision makers on understanding all the different roles in that buying unit. Uh, what content, what information and knowledge needs do they have? And there's a great opportunity to automate all that, uh, at least in terms of gathering and packaging and delivering those uniquely tailored messages in the context of ABM. I think that there's a big gap that we still need to close, at least based on where I've been recently and where I am today. I think that a lot of the newer technologies will focus on helping to automate and streamline that whole process and that whole strategy. Yeah, that, I, I couldn't agree more. And it, you know, it's interesting because you introduced that answer with the pretext that you're going to answer from a B2B perspective. But I think a lot of what you said really stems from our consumer purchasing habits as well, right? Like, I often buy a car from the dealership that created the most personal relationship with me. You know, I, I choose brands that relate to me in a personal way just as much. And I think that we're seeing that carry over to B2B as you outlined. It's, it's that ability to show that you can answer these, these companies' challenges more than the next competitor in the room. That's exactly right. And I think that a lot of the leading edge thinking and development of technology oftentimes comes from the B2C space. Uh, I think that you have a much larger pool of, of consumers, uh, you have larger data sets, you have uh, kind of richer analyses that you're able to perform in the B2B space. If you're going after a market where there's millions of companies or hundreds of thousands of companies, the data sets start becoming comparable to consumer markets, perhaps. Uh, in many of the B2B spaces where I've worked, you're going after 
a thousand companies or 5,000 companies or 500 companies, and that's your market, or that's kind of the addressable market given the constraints of your technology. So the opportunity for sophisticated analyses is a little bit limited. Nonetheless, you can still borrow and adapt a lot of these best practices, insights, and adaptive technologies from the consumer market space and applying apply them to B2B. So I agree with that. You know, that's a, oftentimes the origin of those, uh, those innovations. Absolutely. Marisa, this has been great. We're going to keep you around a short break here on the marketer's journey, and then we'll understand how you take a break amid jumping around between different interim roles. It's got to be tricky right here on the marketer's journey. So one of the areas Mauricio is hitting on is the importance of a marketing technology stack that works in unison and something that starts to complement each other, especially from sales and marketing. And I think more and more what we're going to see in the future is the stack that is a true platform. Now, what does it mean to be a platform? I remember a number of years ago, I sat in at a partner day at Adobe's kickoff. This was shortly after they had acquired Marketo. And I remember sitting there and hearing them talk about the reasons they acquired companies like Magento and more recently Marketo was not just the technology itself. It was the platform that it had become. It was the ecosystem. It was the ability for other software to integrate it within. And I think that's going to become more and more important as technology continues to evolve. In a big way, this is why at Uberflip, we made a conscious effort a number of years ago to build out what we call our marketplace. Our marketplace allows us not just to build the integrations we want to or we have customers asking for today. It also allows other technology companies, whether they're big companies, whether they're small budding companies that are going to be the next giant, start to say, what are the key integrations that we need to build upon to create an ecosystem that's truly connected? More and more, we're going to see this. There's too much MarTech out there. There's no question about that. Look at Scott Brinker's MarTech landscape. Look at the different landscapes for sales technology on its own. There's too many individual logos there. And that's really a lot to integrate internally in these organizations. The importance is the ability to plug and play. More and more are going to see that with API-driven applications and their focus on creating an ecosystem. All right, Mauricio, so we've unpacked your career. We've taken a little look at how you build the right tech stack inside of these organizations to operate. But how do you balance yourself? Because coming into these companies that have such high expectations of an interim CMO or a long-term CMO, how do you find balance for your own personal life, family, vacation, mental health? Yes, uh, very important question. And it is healthy to remind ourselves that ultimately, your own mental stability and productivity and level of engagement in whatever you've chosen as your career and your work is highly dependent on being able to disconnect once in a while and to in parallel with being very busy at work to pursue your passions. In my case, you know, as I've become the age I am now, I focus on fewer things, but but maintain a certain level of depth and engagement. One of them is photographer, uh, photography. I've been a, an amateur photographer for a long time. I started with film many years ago, transitioned to digital, and I've kind of taken the opportunity to really uh, use photography as a creative escape 
whether I'm traveling or just spending time on the weekend or teaching my daughters how to become better photographers or going to photography uh, galleries and, and museums and kind of tracking who the uh, most influential photographers are and kind of chasing them down as much as I can is one of my passions and certainly a great way to disconnect. Another one is travel. And right now we haven't really had a chance to travel much, but I make it a point to disconnecting at least twice a year for one to two week vacations and making it a point of not checking my email. If you've done your job putting together the right team that you can trust and giving them responsibility and accountability for keeping the lights on and keeping the momentum that we had, I should be able to disconnect for a week or two and, and not fear that you know everything's going to collapse and come to a grinding halt while I'm away. So I enjoy adventure travel. I've been to 50 different countries around the world, and hopefully wow. in the next 20 years, I, I hope to get to another 50 countries. So that's one way to really balance uh, being having an intense work life, but also a pretty intense personal life and pursuing those passions. That's great advice. And this whole episode has been really, really fun to explore with you. I, I think people are going to want to check out your LinkedIn where they can look you up. But I'm sure now after knowing about that photography, they're going to want to try and find you on Instagram. Uh, <laughs> this has been a, so much fun for everyone who's tuning in for the first time to the marketer's journey. Mauricio's story is one of so many marketers and everyone's a little bit different. Yours is probably shaping up to be one of its own. So tune in here to check out all of our past great C-level marketing leaders. Until next time, I thank Mauricio for joining us. I thank you for tuning in. This has been the marketer's journey. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.